You are Locked On Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Utes. Welcome into a Tuesday edition of the podcast. Brian, I think uh, Utah fans, by and large, are still licking their wounds from Saturday night. And not to pour salt into the wound, but we're going to look back just one more time on the loss to BYU, pass along a few things that stood out to us. But we also will begin looking forward and also look at an interesting move. USC firing Clay Helton. What might that mean for the Pac-12 South and the University of Utah? Anything else we need to cover, you think? Well, Jake, we should probably try and explain a little bit about why Utah was so bad, although I don't know that we can do that very well. Um, it's, 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 it's perplexing. It's puzzling. But you know what? Gosh darn it. People like us, and so we've got to try, Jake. We will try. But a reminder for you guys before we get going that there's no better place to get all of your Pac-12 conference news than the Locked On Pac-12 podcast. It's hosted, of course, by Cindy Robinson. Brian happens to be a co-host every so often as well. Follow the Locked On Pac-12 podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, without further ado, though, let's get rolling here. This is the Locked On Utes podcast for September 14th, 2021. Once again, this is the Locked On Utes podcast, only daily podcast focused on the University of Utah. I'm Jay Catch, joined as always by my co-host and the guy who fills in for me when I happen to be away, Brian Brown. Brian, how are you, my friend? We're, like you said, licking wounds over here, Jake. We are uh, reevaluating things on the Locked On Utes podcast. Um, you know, we're, we're digging back into the archives to make sure that our show plans were properly executed. Maybe we weren't putting in the full effort to Utah the win on uh, last Saturday. So, so we're in full-blown evaluation mode over here. We are in evaluation mode. There's no doubt about that. Obviously, when you go 12 years between losing games to your rival, you win nine straight in that stretch. Well, there's bound to be some disappointment when that streak finally does end. And The game on Saturday to me, and I was sitting there at Lavelle Edwards Stadium watching this game unfold, Brian, and it was baffling to me. Let's start here. I was baffled that Utah in this game kept making critical mistake after critical mistake that were essentially the same mistake, just in a different form and with a different player. That was probably the most frustrating thing that I noticed from the Utah perspective. Am I wrong? Oh, I don't think so at all, Jake. It was every single time that Utah started to put something together on offense, they found a way to shoot themselves in the foot. Uh, and it never really started off good. And, well, I mean, it started off terribly, and it never really got much better. I think we're all in agreement that the lone bright spot was Makai Bernard. I'll, I'll second that the, the production from the tight ends was, you know, 30% of the passing game was through the tight ends in terms of receptions. They didn't have any drops as far as I remember. I should have pulled the stats up and ahead of time before making that uh, um uh, declaration, um, but they were a lot more productive than most uh, most of the rest of the offense. You know, you know when they could actually block the BYU defensive line, and, and we tried to talk about that a little bit in the preview that this was a good defensive front for BYU. It was a different kind of defensive front, and they showed out. 
Yeah, they did. And that's the thing. A guy like Atunais Mahe, that play that will stand out for the entirety of that game is him breaking through that offensive line. And it appeared to me, and you, you know more offensive line in depth than I do, it seemed like to me there was a miscommunication and Nick Ford missed a block. And that just allowed Atunais Mahe essentially to jump on top of the running back and almost take away the handoff. Yeah, I'm not sure what the miscommunication was or what the misunderstanding was, but it was a simple power play, uh, you know, a counter uh, counter TE, we'll call it, where you're you're essentially pulling the guard and then uh, trailing with the tight end. And uh, Dalton Kincaid, bless his heart, didn't know what to do because Mahi was so quickly into the backfield that he almost uh, knocked both Kincaid and Bernard off their tracks. Tried to block him. It's not his guy to block. Uh, but that's definitely a down-down situation where you are blocking down on the uh, players that are, are, are pulling. And uh, that's been a staple of Utah's offense for a while is, is that pulling, uh, you know, counter style power style offense it's it's what we saw a lot against ucla the night that joe williams set the rushing record in, in the rose bowl and it's a pretty how can i phrase this jake uh it, it's it's one that you shouldn't screw up i'll just it, put it that way you're right it, it should be a relatively simple scheme to run there, there's no doubt about that and uh, so just looking at and Pro Football Focus, I, I've got their grades up in front of me here, and I'm looking at I'm looking particularly at run blocking right now. So the, the grades from PFF on run blocking. So looking at the offensive lineman for Utah, Nick Ford graded out as the top lineman in this game. His run blocking grade was actually 72.9. Braden Daniels had the best run blocking grade at 73.1. But then it gets real scary real quick. Bamadeli Olasheni, 63.4. Jaron Kump, 60.5. Simi Mawala, 58.2. Sataoa Laumea, 66.2. Not grades across, not great grades across the board there in the run blocking, but you do not want me to mention Sataoa Laumea's pass blocking grade. Oh my goodness, Jake! I could probably tell you why because uh, Satawa struggled in his first game back in action. It was as if he had forgotten the fact that defensive players like to blitz, defensive players like to move around, that at times he's playing as part of a unit and not just as a single individual. When Kyle Whittingham talked about the fact that they needed to build some cohesion at the front, I think that this would be an example that we could point at and say, that's why he was so worried. That's why he was so concerned. It's about developing chemistry up front so you know when you need to pass your guy off to, to the other guy. And, and some of this, we can point fingers and say they didn't do this, they didn't do that. The other aspect that you have to point out was the fact that BYU was never making it easy on them to make these decisions, to make these reads. Uh, and every time that they were trying to do the right thing, you would see another BYU player knock a player off track. It almost looked like Utah was playing on their heels on the offensive line the entire game, and that's never where you want to be. I've never, I, I've never seen a team that plays high be successful. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and we're not talking about the stuff that you get out in Wendover. We're talking about, uh, you know, pad level, hip level, where you're sitting in, in your hips, right? Uh, you know, you look at sumo wrestlers and how they do it. They don't stand up and go rub bellies against one another. They're down low. They're crouched. They're bent in a, an athletic position, even though they weigh an, an extreme 
you know, an enormous amount. And that's because that's where you generate your power from. That's where you create leverage. Leverage is creating space that allows you to operate and defend yourself against the attack from the defense. And Utah did none of that on Saturday. And boy, was it evident. Yeah, low man wins. That 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 phrase has never been more applicable than in this case. So I, I mentioned the fact that I didn't I didn't want to like put Satao Laumea on blast, but Brian, when I'm looking at pass blocking grades of seventy three point seven for Braden Daniels, eighty four point seven for Nick Ford, and then I move down the list and Laumea checks in at twenty nine point eight. Whew. And I think many Utah fans will have dreams of Keenan Peely, Peyton Wilgar coming on that twist stunt right up the middle that is a pass-off block that Laumea, Nick Ford, as well as, um, uh, who's the other guard? Braden Daniels. We're supposed, supposed to pass off to one another, and the three of them, for whatever reason, could not get on the same page and pick that up. What I think is even more frustrating to Utah fans and and to everyone around this team is that that's been the continual problem with this unit for now multiple seasons. Uh, We can talk about how maybe it's a coaching issue. We can talk about how it's a player issue. We can talk about it's a personnel issue. At the end of the day, you can point the fingers all you want. None of those issues are being solved, and that's going to be very difficult if you can't fix it. Now, having said that, I know that they've worked this stuff all throughout fall camp. It was one of the points of emphasis from for them from the very beginning. So I'm going to say that this at this point, that a lot of what we're seeing is, is missed execution as opposed to uh, not being coached up. And, and that's upon that front five to develop some leadership, to take, uh, take responsibility, and to figure out what's going on and, and make the changes. Now, whether that ends up with maybe kicking Jaron Kump inside because Ben uh, Molesheni had a good game, or if it means you know finding, uh, finding some rhythm with Keaton Bills instead, that will leave up to the coaches to make that decision. I don't think I have enough evidence because I don't go to practice every day to really know you know what's happening. But the bottom line is, is that there needs to be some leadership from that group. Uh, it needs to come from somewhere. Somebody needs to hold everyone else accountable. And I don't think that we're seeing that currently. I would agree with you. And obviously the issues with the offensive line lend themselves to the other issues that Utah faced. And we'll talk more about those in a moment. We'll keep digging into this. Uh, but first, Brian, let's talk about a new sponsor here on the podcast. And it's called Prize Picks. This is a very, very interesting company because many of you out there probably enjoy prop bets. And obviously you have players that you prefer to watch. Brian's currently pointing at himself. The best part about what Prize Picks is offering is they offer more college football prize than anyone in the world and offers all the star players from the Power Five as well as mid-major players you may not have ever heard of. You can do everything from yardage to touchdowns, even interceptions thrown. You essentially just take two to five players, select the over-under on their projections, and then you can up to ten times back on any of those entries. Seems pretty easy, doesn't it, Brian? 
Jake, I think I can figure that one out. So that should tell you exactly how easy it is. Yeah, they obviously have uh, prop bets for other sports as well. NFL, NBA, college hoops. They've got it all covered for you guys. And the best part is you can do this all mobile. You can do it on an app. They have an award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Your entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's really that easy. Prize Picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals. So don't hesitate. Check out Prize Picks or go to your App Store and download the app today. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Brian, let's also take a minute today and talk about our friends over at Rock Auto. You and I have both used this resource, and the best part about it is it saves you time and money because you're not having to go to a store and have them dig through their computer and find a part and say, well, I can order it and it'll be delivered here. You can handle all that yourself by going to their website. It saves you time, it saves you money, and more importantly, it saves you just kind of that wanting to tear your hair out moment when the person behind the desk just doesn't understand. If you're like me, Jake, and you don't really have hobbies, in fact, you try to turn your hobbies into jobs, that just makes you more frustrated. This is a great kind of hobby to pick up. Maintaining your car, turning a wrench, you feel accomplished, you get outside a little bit. The best part about it is it can be a very inexpensive, even a money-saving hobby because those cars are going to need repairs no matter what. We're all back to driving on the roads. You can tell because gas prices are going through the roof. Save even more money. Have extra cash in your pocket to pay for that gasoline by doing your brakes yourself, doing your windshield wipers yourself. We've talked in the past about how people have done it, and we talk, you know, there's a lot of things out there that you can do to help your car stay maintained. The best place to go, Jake, is a place that's been owned by the same family for 20 years. I can vouch for that. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. The price is reliably low for every customer, and they got all the parts literally you could ever need from multiple manufacturers. So go explore their easy-to-use website today at rockauto.com and find the solution to all of your auto parts needs. Now, we need you guys to do one thing if you go to rockauto.com, and that is to write Locked On or Locked On Utes in the How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Of course, we want some credit for having you guys go over and check them out. So please do that. But amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, and find them all at rockauto.com. Brian, we spent the vast majority of our first part of this podcast talking about the issues along the offensive front, but that was not the only issue in Saturday night's uh, game. Let's talk for a moment here about uh, other issues with the offense. Obviously, you mentioned in the beginning that Mekhi Bernard, he's the bright spot, really. 12 carries, 140-plus yards. He looked every bit the part of running back one. The concern, though, is the turnover issues – uh, reared their ugly head once again for the second straight game. They did, and and this is uh, not a good trend to be having tr- between turnovers and third down uh, inefficiency. Utah's offense is really digging themselves a hole, and that's having a massive impact on the defense. This is the, these two units should always be working in cohesion, right? The defense should be itching to get off the field. The offense should be dying to stay on it. And really, it didn't look like they were at times. And we we can debate, you know, Kyle Whittingham said in his press conference today that he left Tavion Thomas out there because he feels like he needs some development. That is a shift in a mindset for Kyle Whittingham. But also, I think there's probably some self uh, self owning going on there by Kyle Whittingham because if you have a six three inch running back, Jake, running them in short yardage inside situations 
might not be the best move, right? Simply because when those taller players are running, they don't have a way to get their pads down and get the leverage that we're talking about. You know, you said it earlier, low man wins. And if you have a, a defensive lineman diving at your legs, your natural reaction is going to be to try and swipe away with your arm. So you're going to take an arm off the ball. You're going to have a hard time repositioning that ball quick enough if somebody else is coming in. And that's what happened to Tavion Thomas, causes the fumble. The Charlie Brewer interception, just not a great throw, right? And Charlie never looked comfortable. And that's another phase of this that I'm starting to get a little bit curious about. When Andy Ludwood came in, he said he always likes to fit his offense, offensive scheme to the players that he has. But we haven't really seen Charlie Brewer look comfortable and really find a rhythm out there. So is Utah really doing a good job of finding things that Charlie is comfortable doing rather than trying to say, hey, Charlie, you're good at making decisions. You're good at throwing accurately. This is how we want you to run. We haven't seen anything up-tempo. We haven't seen anything spread out. We haven't seen anything, uh, you know, uh, more air Big 12 E in concept. I'll call it like that because it's not really air raid anymore. More of a spread. Um, yeah. And, and then, you know, I think the spread has become basically the, 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 the Nazvanya. Why am I saying Russian words? The, the naming for, um, it's the generic term for all. Yeah. Yeah. For, for, for that kind of offense, Texas, Texas high school offenses, right? Uh, we haven't really seen them do any of that. And I get that personnel wise, Utah is a little bit different than most teams, but why wouldn't you want to throw some short yardage uh, passes to Britton Covey, to money parks, to uh, Theo Howard, uh, even Solomon Enos and let them get a little bit of uh, time with the football in their hands. Let them get an easy catch and get up field and try and make some plays. I don't know. Jake did. did have have we seen any other teams in state do that with, with any kind of efficiency? Because it feels like everybody else has done it. I was going to say, like, well, the team you faced on Saturday. <laughs> the night, team that beat you, right? That's <laughs> like, what they like, did. I think it was nine different receivers that Jaron Hall hit in that game, uh, if you count tight ends and backs, obviously. But he spread it around. There's no doubt about that. And, there's yeah, there was a lot of dink and dunk in some cases and also some explosives. So it was an interesting mix. Uh, last thing I want to say on the offense before we touch on the defense here for a moment, Brian. I, for the life of me, will never understand lining up in a shotgun on fourth and two. I, I, I just you know, can't do it. Yeah, and it's like even regardless of how you want to line up in it, you know, and I, I understand why everybody loves to go under center. You're that much closer to the line of scrimmage, right? Um, my biggest concern with anything like that is is that you're not forcing the defense to make any kind of thinking uh, decisions, yeah, right? Yeah, they, they're just crashing down, yeah. Yeah, they knew. They knew. I mean, I can't. I, I believe I can't remember if it was Keenan Peely or Peyton Wilgar that that crashed in there to make that tackle. But I believe somebody asked him in the post game. You know, did you have any kind of hesitation in it at all? He's like, no, not really. I knew it was coming. Yeah, it was Wilgar. Um, yeah, Peyton Wilgar. And, uh, you know, that's that's a big problem. I, I don't mind the call from Kyle Whittingham. I've been on record saying that I would have kicked the field goal. I had multiple people that are in the coaching profession texting me the same team, same thing. Not not just like little league coaches either, you you jackals out there trying to make me sound like I'm an idiot, but but coaches that are at, you know, college and, and, and NFL places uh, texting me saying, like, what are they doing? What is he doing? Why did he make that call? It's going to come back to bite him, and sure enough, it did. Yeah, it did, and unfortunate, but you hopefully learn from it and move on here, obviously getting ready for San Diego State this weekend down there in Carson. All right, on the defensive side for a moment here, Brian, I think the one thing that I felt like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I felt like guys like Van Fillinger and Xavier Carlton in particular, kind of these younger defensive ends, 
you can see the talent. It's evident with these guys, but they were out-schemed and out-maneuvered by BYU's offensive line and coaching staff all night long. When we talk about development, I think a lot of times what people think is it's technique. Sometimes it's just awareness of where you're at in the field Mm -hmm. and where you need to be into relation to the play, right? Oftentimes we saw Van get sucked inside too much. He overplayed the situation. He hesitated on his reads, and that allowed the edge to go open up. I think a lot of times when when BYU ran that wide zone, they were not stout enough. They didn't recognize it quick enough, and so they did not stop. Uh, the tackles and, and, and the momentum that BYU is trying to generate with a wide zone. And that's really what wore down the Utah defensive line. Uh, we can talk about depth all we want. Um, it doesn't matter if you're not going to play guys and try and keep keep guys fresh. And so I think Utah really, uh, I don't want to say shot themselves in the foot, but I, I think really what they did is they, they played to the wrong strengths of their team, you know, they, they thought that they could just overcome everything that they, they were overconfident in a lot of what they were trying to do. And it just, it really backfired massively on them. Yeah. I think that there was some thought, and this is just maybe me reading into this too much. I was sitting there thinking that Utah's philosophy was we have a lot of talent and that will overcome what BYU may scheme for that will overcome maybe the inexperience that some of these guys have. And ultimately it proved to be their downfall was the fact that they just kind of relied on their just overall athletic ability in this, in this circumstance. Yeah. And, and, and part of why I love this roster so much is that you've got a ton of versatility with it. And I've preached and, and prodded about this and how is it? I'm, I'm going to back off that one. You know, I see it very clearly, right, mm-hmm. from my position here in the chair, staring at you through a computer monitor and a modified uh, video setup um, it, with my uh, collection of toys around me. You know, it, it that's an easy one for me to see. I'm not in the, you know, in the trenches every single day trying to get these guys better, trying to develop them. There's a ton of players on this roster. There's a lot of versatility. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why you have to stick with what's clearly not working, uh, either to prove a point or because you're just too uh, uh, stubborn in, in the fact that this is how you do things at the University of Utah to where you couldn't have put somebody into a QB spy. Now, that's not automatically going to cure every single problem sure. that Jaron Hall had or caused for the Utah defense, but these are little tiny things that everybody does you know and then utah just refused to do it yeah it was baffling plain so it was just baffling to me that they never adjusted to that and i think that's a lot of credit to the BYU coaching staff who has now done this for long enough and faced these guys long enough to know that hey they're never going to change we just go out and do what they do uh, i do have concern though going into the san diego state game if there's one thing that Brady Hoke prefers to do is to run the ball down your throat and if utah cannot figure out how to stop it this game gets a, just a little more dicey. I'm not I'm not by any means saying that Utah should be on upset alert, but just how San Diego State has operated under Brady Hoke and also Rocky Long over the past six, seven, eight years is that if there's one thing that they will try to do is they will try and jam that ball down your throat 40, 50, 60 times a game if at all possible. Yeah, and that's the biggest problem is that when you look at the play dispar- uh, disparity between the two teams, on Saturday, it was massive, mm-hmm. and that's really where Utah lost the game, in my opinion. Um, you just have to be better at, at, at matching them play for play. You know, if you look at some of the statistics that we pull out of that game, uh, Utah was was there in, in 
yards per play for for every single step of it, but they couldn't do it when it mattered most on third down, and they could not sustain drives. If you do that against, uh, if you do both of those things against uh, San Diego State, it's going to be a no contest. Like it, it, Utah wins that one hands down, but we haven't really seen Utah do that, and and so. You've got to figure that out. You cannot, like you said, allow San Diego State to run all over you. Yeah, because that's what they—that's the kind of their mo. That's what they—that's what they prefer to do. So, obviously, a lot to correct, and we'll continue to prep for that game against San Diego State as the week progresses. But we do need, before we go on today's show, to hit on the big topic in the conference: Clay Helton out at USC. What might this mean for the Pac-12 South? What does it mean for Utah in particular? We'll dig into that in just a moment. First, though, let's take one minute and talk about our friends over at Bet Online, Brian. I love the fact about Bet Online is they have all kinds of different contests. It seems like every time I go on that website, there's a new contest that you can sign up for and give give it a shot. I know you are fond of playing with parlays. I'm a guy who likes to kind of look at spreads and see if I can find one that I think is juicy enough and I feel like a team is either going to cover it and get in on it. That's what Bet Online's got for you guys. They got everything from top to bottom, props, players. They've got it all covered for you. They do, and that's the great part about betonline.ag. They have everything laid out, super easy for you to find, super easy for you to get to, super easy for you to play. There are a variety of things that you can do on there. Whatever it is that you need, you can find it there at betonline.ag. And the best part about it, Jake, we know what's coming next. That's right. There's a promo code, and you get something really neat out of it. Yeah, head to the website. Use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just... Just for signing up, don't forget to use the promo code NFL100 when signing up to get that. It's a fantastic offer, and it's a fantastic website, so take advantage of it now. That's BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Well, Brian, the first major bombshell in the Pac-12 dropped yesterday with Mike Bone, the athletic director at USC, announcing that he's making a change at the top of the USC football program. Clay Helton's tenure as Trojans head coach is over. And I got to say, the timing of this, very strange, because you lose your first Pac-12 game of the year, the first Pac-12 game played of the year, and suddenly you're without a job. It, it is, Jake, and this feels like a move that was uh, probably due a while ago, um, but the performance on Saturday led to the Monday mic drop. You know, the uh, the Trojans could not uh, mold out of clay what they needed to uh sustain their their proud uh, tradition there uh poor traveler you have to think that traveler is very sad right now he's lost his buddy clay helton um but most usc fans are likely relieved that something has finally been done the issue at hand though is that why this wasn't done earlier and why they decided after two games albeit lackluster performances but early on in the season this was enough to make a move is is fascinating uh, P.S. That was pun-tastic, by the way, so well, well done to you. But you're right. The timing of this just, it's bizarre to me, to say the least. If you were trying to lock in a recruiting class, great. But the, the thing is, the transfer portal, all those kids can bolt now and be eligible at their next school right away. So I don't know, man. USC obviously wants to uh, have a new 
leader at the top of that program. There have been names left and right thrown out there. Urban Meyer, Bob Stoops, Chris Peterson, Luke Fickle from Cincinnati, uh, Kalani Satake from BYU getting some run even for this type of a job. There will be no shortage of candidates. There will be no shortage of applicants for this job, Brian. But the biggest thing is whoever gets this job is going to have the weight of the USC expectation train heaped right upon their shoulders the second they're named head coach. And all Utah fans out there are probably thinking to themselves right now, hey, am I listening to Locked on Utes or Locked on USC? We are about to clarify why that is, Jake, because this hire is going to reverberate across the Pac-12 no matter who it is. If it is a Kalani Sataki, I think for Utah fans, that's a familiar foe uh, come from within your walls. But at the same time, uh, that would probably bring some mixed emotions because you've seen what Kalani's been able to do with your rival. And you have to think that that success would be, to a degree, very du- duplicatable at USC. There are probably choices out there. I don't know that Utah fans would want to see an Urban Meyer return to USC. I don't think that one's as likely. Um, you know, you're, if you're looking at it as a Utah fan, the road to the Back 12 championships almost always goes through LA, whether that's SC or UCLA as they've started to emerge. You're going to have to compete with them. You don't want somebody who's going to protect their barriers down there in the recruiting game and keep talent in-house down there. They're also going to try and come to Utah and continue to steal recruits from here. Uh, We can't you know, we can't uh, absorb another stealing back video uh, to make that the, the, the primary means of defense here. Um, you know, so for Utah fans, this is a very important hire. You know, Clay Helton was just good enough to beat Utah at times, especially when Utah played there in the Coliseum. But he was also just bad enough to uh, have two or three losses that would allow it to be, you know, um, you know, it, unimpactful. Yeah, this is this is going to be very interesting, as you mentioned. Utah, their path to competing in the Pac-12 South, you're right. It goes to the city of Los Angeles, whether it's in Pasadena, the Rose Bowl, whether it's the Coliseum, you got to go through one of those two, it feels like, if you want to win it all. So just this is a very, very interesting time, obviously, because whoever USC hires, as you mentioned, there will be reverberations across the entire Pac-12. And you know what? Why not just go hire Mario Cristobal and, you know, stab a stake in the heart of Oregon for for once. How about that? Boy, wouldn't that be something, you know, and we've never known USC to go up to the Pac, uh, Pacific Northwest and, and steal no. a coach from up there. No, never. no, never. I don't know. It's just, this will be very interesting because obviously it's going to affect Utah's fortunes going forward for the foreseeable future. However long, obviously, they're the coach there. And of course, we'll continue to cover anything else that comes. But Brian, uh, we're out of time for today's show. So leave us with some words of wisdom before we go here. Jake, anytime you want to mold something out of clay, you better make sure that it's a Helton good version of it. I don't have anything. My The gun is empty. Well, the chamber is empty, I should say. You're you're punny to me, so I'll I'll give you that. All there right. it is. There you go. I just need I just needed my uh I just needed my guy to go for the bucket there. There you go. All right. Well, that's going to do it. A big thank you to all of you for your support. Please follow the show on social media, Locked on Utes on Twitter. Follow Brian's work at Brown Bear SLC. You can follow me at Jacob C. Hatch. And as always, you can email the show anytime. LockedOnUtes at gmail.com is the email address. Until next time, this has been the Locked on Utes podcast for September 14th, 2021. And we will catch you guys tomorrow. Tomorrow.